the king gives an order, but his son defiantly disobeys it. Feels no remorse or regret for doing so. What does this have to do with the 2020 election? I'm Pastor Jason Barnett, and this is the Dirt Pass Sermon Podcast. I'm going to say these two quotes to you that you have come, become pretty familiar with at this point, I would hope. That first quote is taken from a pastor, and he, 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 the pastor quote it said, Remember, I am, I am your pastor. I am not your politician. So if you come to this church and you expect me as your pastor to tell you who to vote for and how to vote, then you are at the wrong place because that's not what God's called me to do. God's called me to teach you about Him and what His Word says. That's it. And so with that in mind, Paul tells us, he writes to the church in Philippians, he tells them that they are to conduct their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. And that, that is what my concern is as your pastor for this church, for you and for myself, is that we learn to conduct ourselves, to live our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Not just in election time, but in every day of our lives, we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. There is no off-season when you live your life for Jesus. Now, that being said, that I would, I would be lying to you if I didn't say there were some things as Christians that you and I need to be considering when we exercise our right to vote. There are things that we need to be thinking about and keep in the back of our mind. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at this passage in 1 Samuel, and we're going to be trying to figure out what does it have to do with the 2020 election. And I know at this point you guys are probably getting tired about hearing the 2020 election. I'm going to sick of all the ads and all the talk so far. But, but I promise you, this is, this, is, this is the last sermon on this for this election cycle. So if you had open your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Samuel 14. We're going to be reading verses 24 through 30. And this is what, what, how it reads. It says, Now the men of Israel were in distress that day, because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be any man who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. The entire army entered the woods, and there was honey on the ground. When they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out, yet no one put his hand to his mouth, because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with the oath. So he reached out the end of the staff that was in his hand, and dipped it into the honeycomb. He raised his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers told him, Your father bound the army under a strict oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food today. That is why the men are faint. Jonathan said, My father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brightened when I tasted a little of this honey? How much better it would have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took from their enemies. Would not the slaughter of those saints have been even greater? It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the Saul is mentioned here. This is King Saul, the first king of God's people. And his son in the story is Jonathan. That in the middle of this passage, they are at war with the Philistines. Pretty much the entire book of 1 and 2 Samuel is consumed with the story of the Israelites being at war with the Philistines. As a matter of fact, if you go into the book of Judges, they will be at war with who? The Philistines. So this is a perpetual issue between Israel and this other neighboring country. And, and Saul, in the midst of the fighting and in their war, and, and the battle that has taken place right before the passage we have read, the Israelites have the Philistines on the ropes. They are about to give them the, you know, that knockout punch. 
And that's when Jonathan disobeys his dad's orders. And so it's in this story about him, a son disobeying his dad's orders, a, son, a, a, a servant of the king disobeying the king's rule, that we are looking, trying to answer our question of what does this have to do with the 2020 election? So let's, with that in mind, let's look a little bit closer. Verse 24 reads, Now the men of Israel were in distress that day, because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be any man who eats people before evening comes. Before I have avenged myself on my enemies, so none of the troops tasted food. King Saul understood something about what it costs to obtain victory. It doesn't matter whatever it, what, it, what it is in our lives. If we are trying to obtain victory over something, there is a cost involved. It's going to cost you something. If you want to get good at playing the piano, it's going to cost you time and practicing and studying how to play the instrument. If you want to get good at conquer at, you know, at football or something like that, you have to put in the time to develop your skills, to understanding the game itself. To obtain victory in this life, it, 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 it's going to cost you something. And so Saul, when he gives the words to the men of Israel, he, he, is, he is calling them, hey, if we want to achieve total victory, if we want to completely force the Philistines to surrender, then I am calling us as a nation in this moment. While opportunity as it is at hand, let's fast from eating until the sun goes down. That way, instead of taking time to stop and eat and fill up our bellies, we pursue our enemy and we put him down for good. That's the king's thinking when he gives his command. There's one problem with it, though. I just told you, just preceding what we read today, these soldiers have been fighting all day. You can imagine, they've used up a lot of energy. I mean, they don't have sniper rifles and things like that. They have the bow and arrow, I guess. But, man, with combat in this day and age, it's up close, personal, and physical. And so keep in mind, they're, they're not only are they using energy fighting with the enemy, they're also wearing all this armor and all this junk. They're packing everything they need with them for the day. They have used up a ton of energy. They are winning the battle. They, they are, they're winning the fight. They have the enemy on the ropes. But, again, it has cost them their energy. They are depleted. They're tired. And here their king is coming to them saying, oh my. So the, the, okay, the soldiers, they had, they had been in battle. They had fought. They were wore out. Um, they had the opportunity to, to give this kill shot. They just didn't have the energy for it. They, they just didn't. Have you ever reached that point where you're just so physically exhausted? You know you need to keep going, but you just don't have it. I mean, it's just not there. Uh, at the moment that comes to mind for me, I remember one of the last PT tests I took at combat med school. We had one of the part of your PT test in the army is you have to run two miles. And I, was, I remember I, I have a bad habit when I run up. I start out fast, forgetting that I have to finish the long distance. <laughs> and so I'm getting near the end of this, this two mile run and I'm just dying. I'm like, oh man, I need to stop. I can't breathe. And I, but then I remember as I'm getting near the finish line, I'm wanting to, quit. I'm wanting to give up. My first sergeant standing and he said, don't you, don't you do it. You keep pushing, you go a little bit harder, you're almost there, don't, don't you quit. And so I was able, because of this encouragement, to sprint out the last quarter of a mile to get to the finish line. And then breakfast came up and <laughs> all the other stuff. But I, after I was done, I was so physically tired the rest of the day. Why? Because it cost me a lot of energy to be able to, to do that. That's what these soldiers were. They, they, had, they had fought hard in, in the name of God, in the name of their country, and now they were exhausted in this moment. 
And the king comes to him with some glory. He says, hey, let's finish them right now. Let's finish them. I, I'm going to cause the nation to, to, to sacrifice together to achieve total victory. Can you see how this is kind of a dumb word by the king? This is not a very wise decision on Saul's part. It's not that, 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 that the fact that he's wanting to achieve victory in this moment that that's not smart. It's the fact that he's not recognizing how tired his soldiers are. How, how much they need to be replenished and refueled. He's just focused on the victory. And I'm not sure if it's Saul doesn't, rec doesn't recognize it or if he's just ignoring the fact that they're hungry. But anyway, he gives this order. And even though they're exhausted, even though they're tired, the men listen. Because he is their king, they obey him. I mean, the soldiers, they're unhappy. They're probably in need of a Snickers bar. But they obey. They do what the king says. Continuing on. The entire army entered the woods, and there was honey on the ground. And when they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out, yet no one put his hand to his mouth, because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with the oath. So he reached out the end of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it into the honey. He raised his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. So here comes the king's son. But before I get that, you guys remember in the Old Testament, or earlier in the Old Testament, when God is rescuing his people from the land of Egypt, and he's taking them through the wilderness, and all this, what does, what, where does God tell his people he's leading them? And he says, I'm leading you to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, right? He says that. I did a little fact checking on Israel yesterday, just because I'm a nerd and I do these things. I have random thoughts. And so I was like, I wonder, I wonder you know, here, here's Jonathan and this army, they're just walking through the woods and they find honey laying on the ground. That's just kind of weird. And so I looked up, and you realize God kept his promise to Israel? This is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, I, I did some research in the land of Israel. Did you know that there are over 1,100 different species of bees in Israel? That's a lot of bees. There's a lot of bees. That must mean there's a lot of honey there. And then, I, and then you know, I, I took that out of trail, and I said, I'm going to take the other one, too. And I looked up milk. Do you realize that Israel produces 1.6 billion liters of milk every year? This little bitty country, Israel. It's indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. It's really cool if you look up that stat, if you, it compares the average cow between every, a bunch of different countries. And India is the world-leading producer of milk because they have more cows than everybody else. But at the top of the list is Israel. And when it comes to per cow milk producage, it, Israel's cows on an individual basis produce more milk than any other country's cows on earth. God kept his promise to his people. That's the way I can explain it. It is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. And so Jonathan, the king's son, you know, he's been fighting hard in the battle, and he, he doesn't explain to us why or, 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 or how it happens, but Jonathan does not hear Saul's command of saying, hey, don't eat anything, guys. We are sacrificing in order to achieve total victory. Jonathan doesn't hear this. And so as he's walking around, his, his, tummy, his tummy is rumbling, he looks at he sees this honey there, he's like, oh, honey, and he takes a bite. He's not doing it out of straight defiance to his dad or, the king, or, or to his dad the king. He's doing it because he just simply didn't hear the order. And is hungry. He's hungry and he sees an opportunity to not be hungry anymore. Right? You can be the same way, right? Be like, hey, I'm hungry. Hey, look, there's a cheeseburger. Woo! You'd be happy. So you go on, verse 28. Then one of the soldiers told him, Your father bound the young army under his strict oath, saying, Cursed be any man who eats food today. And this is why the men are faint. 
Jonathan says, My father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brighten and what I taste when I taste a little of the honey? How much better would it have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took? Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? <laughs> right here, so Jonathan, when he, when, he, when he takes the honey and eats it, he disobeys King Saul's orders. He's not doing it in defiance initially. He's just doing it because he's hungry. But when he finds out what his dad's order was, he, he, isn't, he doesn't just say, oh, I'm sorry, I messed up. He doesn't say, oh, no, I disregarded I dad. He hears his dad's order. What's he say? He pretty much says, dad, dad's order is dumb. <laughs> this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Sometimes our English translation doesn't always do justice for us. Uh, here in the NIV, it says, it says, my father has made trouble for the country. The actual Hebrew word right there means destroy, to destroy happiness. So what Jonathan is saying is, my dad has destroyed the happiness of our country by giving out this order. My dad has destroyed the morale of our army who has fought so hard and so bravely and is so close to annihilating our enemies. Yeah, this one stupid order, he's ruined everything. He recognizes that, you know what? You know, the hungry soldiers do not fight very well. Soldiers that are depleted of their energy do not fight very well. And even though they were so close to victory, so close to obtaining total dominance over their enemy, they did not have the strength to complete the mission. And so Jonathan's pointing out, hey, Dad, Dad's order's dumb. Does he just not realize that if he let you guys eat a little bit, how much greater the victory would have been? He would have had the energy to keep going and keep pursuing this enemy. That loyalty is not blind. Jonathan teaches us that loyalty is not blind. I have no doubt in my mind that Jonathan loves his dad. If you read the story of throughout 1 Samuel, you'll, you'll see that Jonathan, no matter what King Saul does, Jonathan, as his son, stands by his side. Matter of fact, Jonathan is one of my favorite characters in studying the Bible. Why? Because he, he stands in the shadow of two giant men, and he does it with dignity and honor. He has no desire to shine forth and be in the front of the room. He, he is just happy with who God has made him to be, and he's willing to stand in that gap. So I have no doubt, he's willing to stand by his dad and that he loves his dad. He loves him. He values him as a person. And I have no doubt that Jonathan respects the wishes of his king. He's not trying to say, King, you, you know, you made it. You're a terrible person, you need to go away. That's not what he's saying. No, 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 no. Jonathan teaches us that loyalty isn't blind. He sees that his dad, the king, whom he loves, who he stands by, made a terrible decision and recognized enough to call it out. He doesn't try and sweep it under the rug. He doesn't try and sugarcoat it to make his dad look better. He says, this is dumb. He teaches us that loyalty isn't blind. Just as Jonathan's loyalty isn't blind to his father, to the truth of what's happening, you and I as Christians, our loyalty to, to our country, our loyalty to a candidate, our loyalty to a political party should not be blind to the truth of God's word. We should have our eyes wide open and recognize where, where they are before God. We shouldn't, we shouldn't, try, we shouldn't try and sugarcoat and put, put our, our favorite candidate's shortcomings in a, in a, in a nice clean and beautiful way to try and make it sound better. No, if they are living in sin, then they are living in sin. If they are making decisions that are sinful, then they are making sinful decisions. And by pointing that out, that doesn't make us any less loyal to them. Actually, it makes us more so. Because we are truly loving them in that moment. Because we're not blinded to the truth. We can love our country. And there's no, there's no doubt it's, 
to have the freedoms that we have, to be able to worship freely and publicly like we do, it's come at a great cost. But a loyalty to our country doesn't mean we're blind to the issues that are threatening it. It means we pay attention. And we call them out. We stand up for the injustices. We stand up for the things that, that, the, that our country is trying to tell us right, but we know they're wrong. We stand up against them. Why? Because that's how we truly love our country. By being honest and sticking to the truth of God's word. Our allegiance, our loyalty is not based on how the world sees it or understands it. It's not our loyalty to our country, our loyalty to our, our neighbor and to one another. It's not based on how they make us feel or what they do to us or how they treat us. Our loyalty is based on something greater and much simpler than that. Our loyalty is based on the law of God. God's law is very simple. Preachers like me and theologians, we get up here and we, we make it more complicated than it needs to be. It's really very simple. God's law is, is, is so easy, anybody can figure it out. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, do you remember what his answer is? Remember that the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus, they're trying to get him stuck in his words so they can get him in trouble, and then they ask him, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus looks at him and says, well, there are two. Which is from his love of the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on in Matthew to say, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two. You catch what he says there? He says, all of the law, the entire word of God, it all hangs on those two things. Love God and then love others. And when he says it hangs on those two things, that's exactly why he hung on the cross. Those aren't just words to Jesus. That is what he lived out for you and I. He demonstrated to us loyalty to God to the very end, to the point it cost in his very life. And he did, he did demonstrate to us what it means to love someone and to be loyal to stand by them, even when they're at their worst. You see, Jesus hung on that cross, not because we were worthy of it, not because, because we deserve it. No, Jesus simply hung on that cross. Why? Because he loves us. And we are sinners. He stood by us in our sin. He didn't sin himself. He didn't say it was okay. He stood by us and says, I love you anyway. Let me show you a better way, a better way to do things. See, conducting our lives in a manner worthy of God, of the gospel, is to love God. And, if we, and how do we love God? His word teaches us we love God by how? By obeying his commandments. And one of his commandments, we just told us too. That you boil them down to, you, you can read all ten if you want, but if you study the ten, it's going to point you back to those two. Love God, love others. And we love God. We demonstrate our love to God. How? By being obedient to his word. And when we are living our lives in obedience to the word of God, that means that we are living our lives in a way. We are living our lives in pursuit of loving our neighbors around us. That's what it means to conduct our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I say, when I talk about loving others, this does not mean we are blind to the wrongs. We don't, turn up our, we don't turn a blind eye to them. We don't sweep them under the rug. We can see exactly who they are, what they've done wrong, where they have fallen short, and still make the decision to stand by them because that's what our Jesus did for us. That's what loyalty is, is standing beside them anyway. Standing beside them, practicing the life that we proclaim. Standing by them, pointing to the better way, which is the way of Jesus. In the way of his cross. That's what it means to conduct our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. And I can't, in our country right now, in our world right now, the one thing they need more than anything else is they need someone to show them that we can stand by one another. 
and loyalty to our country, and loyalty to, more importantly, to God, and loyalty to whoever is the president, we can stand by them despite their shortcomings, despite their fallings, and demonstrate them the way of Jesus. That's what our world needs the most right now. They don't need a new definition of Christianity. They need a new demonstration. And I completely stole that from some other theologian. I can't remember his name. They need you and I. This election cycle, no, no matter who we vote for or how we vote, no matter how the outcome come, to, comes out of everything, they need you and I to stand up and say, we belong to Jesus. We love God. And we are going to love you even though we are different. That's conducting our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. We can be loyal without being blind. This morning we're going to close with, with communion. And uh, taking communion, participating in the Lord's Supper, it's an invitation to come to God's table. What's cool about God's table is that there's a spot for everyone. His table's big enough, there's, a, there, there's enough food at His table for everybody to come and find a place to sit down. And, and what's really cool is that He has invited everyone to come sit at this table. He doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care what you have done. All that Jesus is saying to each and every one is, hey, come have a seat at my table. He says that knowing exactly who we are. He invites us to come find a seat, to come taste the grace. This very, the very act that, rep that it represents shows us our Savior's fierce love for God and also for you and me as sinners. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he tells us about, he warns us about taking communion in a manner unworthy. And a manner unworthy has absolutely nothing to do with how you come to the table. Remember, I just told you, Jesus doesn't care who you are, he doesn't care where you've been, he says, you are invited to come to find your place and sit down at my table. No, taking the manner unworthy is going to that table and leaving exactly the way you came. He uses this table to remind you and me that he's called us to be different in the world, to conduct our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. So when the song's going to play, I'm going to stand here at the front. I'm going to invite you to come forward, and I'm going to hand you the elements. This morning, only come forward. Only partake and come to Jesus' table if you're willing to come to that table. To leave differently. To leave to go conduct your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, a couple of little instructions. As you come up and you get your elements, please hold on to them. After the song is over, we will take it together as a family. Because that's how I think God does things in this room. We sit down and eat together as a family. But please, only I'm serious about this this morning. If you are willing, if you're willing to say, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to conduct my life in a manner worthy of your gospel. I've been trying, but I've been falling short. If you want to leave here full of his spirit this morning, then come forward. Maybe you're here and you don't even, you've never met Jesus before. You've never actually had that conversion experience where you've repented of your sins and turned from your wicked ways. Communion is an invitation to come do that. Come to the table. Believe you're never the same. So he was betrayed, took bread, and broke it. When he had given thanks, he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this to remembrance of me, knowing that when you and I eat this bread, that this is an example of what it means to conduct our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this to remembrance of me. And when we drink from the cup, we are remembering this is what it costs for you and me to be made worthy of the gospel. God, we are humbled by your sacrifice for us. The simplicity of the truth of your word to love you and to love others. 
Lord, you demonstrated that to us by your, your life and by your death and your resurrection, what it means to, to live our lives in, in love and in loyalty to God, but even more so to the loyalty and love of those around us. Lord, as we prepare to vote on Tuesday, would you help us to, to be a reflection of your life, to live our lives worthy of the gospel that your blood was shed for us to be able to take part in? And on Wednesday morning when we wake up and, and we know the results, or whenever the results are known, God, it's not the way we want it. It's not the way our neighbor wants it. Would you use us to stand in the gap, to be your light of hope? God, when we're crying out to you, we want you to come and heal our land. Lord, we're here saying we're, we are ready to be used by you, to be your instruments in the healing that you seek to bring. We'll go, God bless you, know that your, the Spirit goes with you to help you to live this life worthy Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dirt Pass Sermon Podcast. If you live in or near the Greensburg, Kentucky area or find yourself visiting our community on a Sunday morning, please join us at 10.30 a.m. Central Time at Greensburg Church of Nazarene, located at 31 Bluebird Lane. If you find yourself responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit through this message, would you please send me a message either through the connection card available in the show notes or simply subscribe to the Dirt Path Facebook page and you can send me a message there. I would love to pray for you.